0: Welcome to Activist HQ, the weekly podcast series exploring the intersections of the theories and practice of change. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the elements of picket signs and why you and community organizers should focus on using a balance of all three elements in order to achieve your goals. Are you ready? Let's go! So, picket signs. What would protests be without them? They're a universal sign of activism for their use as tools to inform and engage the public and media, as well as invigorate action amongst supporters. Protesters use these signs to accomplish three main goals. Symbolic advocacy, where supporters can lend their creativity to the cause alongside other actions they take. Educational advocacy, where they provide the facts and sources so that existing supporters and potential recruits can have the information to support their base. And engagement advocacy, where supporters engage in meaningful dialogue with open-minded audience, or which provide the calls to action on specific issues and the methods for doing so. All in all, these three work together to motivate, inform, and catalyze individual action which is why it's imperative for organizers to ensure a balance between them and ensure that these signs can actually lead to systemic change. So let's go ahead and take a look at each of these elements individually, starting with the signs you're most likely to picture when thinking of picket signs, symbolic elements. These signs are designed to be catchy, media-friendly elements which demonstrate the creativity of the movement and frame powerful statements which galvanize support amongst movement members. These are the majority of the signs you see today, which is problematic because they do little to address the challenges the protest is meant to address. Educational elements are powerful tools for informing both lay audience and potential recruits, as well as existing members of the movement. They provide facts and resources that can support either the premise of the problem or the solution itself. That's to say that these figures can demonstrate the existence of the problem and need for a solution or they can demonstrate the feasibility of a proposed solution. This allows meaningful discussion to take place by pointing people to the sources which can help establish a common ground and foundation for defending their positions. Finally, engaging elements either elicit meaningful discussion with a well-intentioned audience, or they can provide the critical steps that individuals can take to contribute to change. For example, science can provide recommended positions on a piece of legislation if you agree with the cause, point to resources for integrating changes in home life, or provide opportunities to volunteer, amongst other ideas. Without symbolic elements, the movement may struggle with capturing and framing the narrative, motivating individuals, and maintaining momentum. Without educational elements, supporters may not be able to substantiate their positions, which may damage the movement's reputation and hamper progress efforts. Without engaging elements, new supporter growth may dwindle and progress may be impaired without the infrastructure of action necessary to create it. If organizers can manage balancing these three elements, they can help ensure a productive protest that addresses change at various hierarchical strata, from administrative stakeholders to grassroots supporters to potential converts. This is the sweet spot and is the optimum goal for organizers with respect to picket science. Have you participated in a protest before? Send us a photo of your sign for a chance to be featured on our website, activisthq.org, or in an upcoming video series on what it means to be an activist. So today we're going to be responding to some questions from our audience. Anonymous asks, in your last episode, you said that the survival of the Black Lives Matter and the Blue Lives Matter movements are predicated on each other. But the Blue Lives Matter movement is a fake protest to our protest. It's just that people want to keep black people down. If your podcast is about how to make the world a better place, then how can you think that you can get away with statements like that? First of all, thank you, Anonymous. After I respond, I hope that we can continue this dialogue in person. Maybe you can come on the show to discuss your position, because I'll now be responding to only a couple of sentences. And I feel there is so much more that I can learn from, and many of us as well, from a full discussion on this topic. I will try my best to respond fairly, and if you want, I'd love to hear from you personally, even if you choose not to share it as you have with this. Thank you also for listening to the show and starting a discussion, because it really motivates putting effort into the show. So now, to address your question, in the episode where we discussed the life cycle of social movements based off of a review of Christensen's paper, The Four Stages of Social Movements, I reviewed how social movements progress through defined stages of growth. The final stage, decline, includes outcomes such as achieving their goals and therefore not being needed anymore, to failure, to co-optation and repression, but ideally establishing within the mainstream. So if the goals of either movement were successful, then the opposing movement would have been persuaded into agreement and the goals of that movement would have been integrated into the mainstream. If, for example, we take the position of the Black Lives Matter movement, then that would mean that systemic equity has been achieved racist social, political, and economic structures have been abolished and the counter-movement has eliminated either through agreement or an effectuation. If the counter-movement no longer exists and the movement has achieved its goals, it no longer needs to exist, which is what I was getting at in that episode. Additionally, the reality of a movement doesn't depend on the intention of the supporters, but on the stated positions of all the stakeholders. If we assume the best in the Blue Lives Matter counter-protesters, then a cursory examination of their conditions would lead us to believe that they believe the cops are not getting enough attention for the work that they do. Again, whether or not we agree with them, that is what we can conclude by assuming their honesty. If that's the case, we can now formulate a strategy for meaningful dialogue or even policy by looking for common ground within these contexts. Because policies that make both sides happy are still a step in the right direction, even if you disagree with the other side seeing any gains. Finally, I want to respond to your final comment. This podcast is not about how to make the world a better place. It's about how you can make the world a better place for your community. If you listen to our episode, What is Activism?, you'll see that activism is about capturing change to better represent your interests. It is predicated on every member being active advocates for their community. This should result in making the world a better place, but because our making the world a p- better place overall and for our communities are the same thing, not because it is our like, intentioned goal. I hope that I've been able to provide the context you're looking for, and I invite you for further discussion. It would really be great to have you on. And this goes on to other listeners as well. If you want to get on and respond to anything or discuss something new, please reach out to us on our website, activisthq.org, in the contact form. Anyways, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Enjoy.